0: welcome how's everybody doing this evening all right excellent we are in mark chapter 10 uh if you have one of the one of the bibles that we give out the esv paperback bibles it's uh page 722 if you don't have a bible feel free to grab one either side of me here um and turn to page 722 we are in the Series on Mark, the book of Mark, where you've called the series The Images of Jesus, part number 27 of 43. We are more than halfway there. Are you excited? (laughs) I am really excited. Really excited. Looking like probably sometime in February we'll get done with this deal. Sound good? So we can conclude this thing and have a Valentine's party. Sounds like a good idea, huh? Yes. Who's bringing the candy? So, speaking of candy, you like how I did this here? Speaking of candy, um, Halloween's coming up here in about a month or so, and uh, so that means there's going to be like these haunted houses popping up all over the place, especially like just about 20 miles south of here, down or 30, 40 miles south of here, down 55, that area there's a bunch of haunted houses. Um, when I was in college, that was a really cool hip thing to do, there was a bunch like on the landing, and a bunch down in South County, and a couple out in St. Charles, and uh, the cool thing to do was to go and spend, like, 15 bucks to get scared. Um, and uh, so whenever the guys that I kind of hung around with in college would, would want to go down there, I would say, that's cool, I'll go. Only if my brother goes. Only if my brother Mike goes. If You guys, some of you know my brother Mike. He's a he's a large, large guy. He was about 6'2", and about 280 or so. A big man. So I felt really protected when I would go into this... Uh, there's, let's just face it. There's a lot of drunkenness and a lot of craziness that happens in these these uh, these haunted houses, and they're really scary. But more than that, it's the actual actors that are part of this deal that, that really freaked me and my friends out. So uh, there's like maybe six or seven of us, and there's three or four of us who wouldn't go unless Mike went because nobody. And you, if you've ever been walking through one of these things, you never want to be the first guy, right? You never want to be the first one because they're the ones who bring out the scary people and like jump at them. and so when when that happens like 10 15 feet ahead of you it's not quite as scary because you know you're kind of walking into it and it doesn't freak you out as much and Mike was always like what are you guys afraid of just it, it's some guy in a mask is gonna jump out and then you can scare him and and then so if somebody would jump out and Mike would go like that and they every once in a while that person would get scared and Mike actually got jacked in the eye one time by one of the characters. Uh, uh, I'll tell you more about that story later if you want. Uh, but And so then the guy would jump out of Mike and we'd kind of laugh because Mike would kind of mess with the guy and sometimes they'd mess back and whatever. And so the only way I'd go is if Mike was there leading the way. And most of these other guys the same way. We'd only go if Mike was leading the way. I, I did go to one without my brother and it was the creepiest freaking, you know, like I, I I am a couple weeks ago I told a story about being like ninety pounds in high school. That was me being like a, a little ninety pound four year old walking through. Ninety pound four year old, that's pretty freakish, huh? <laughs> uh, yes, so Mark ten thirty two. Let's pray and we'll get into the scripture. God, I thank you for this night, I thank you for all that you've done to bring us providentially to this place, Father. I, I pray that you would uh, give us a, a beautiful and real encounter with you and a beautiful and real encounter with your word tonight, Father. I pray that the words that come from my mouth are from you, Father, and you would bring our hearts to a place of confronting sin in our lives, Father, and and coming to a place where we recognize your son, Jesus Christ, as a gospel definer, Father. And uh, pray that you just uh, explode that into our minds tonight as we, we see your Son serving and laying down His life tonight in your Scripture. God, I thank you for Jesus. In His name I pray. Amen. So Mark 10.32. And I hope that that little Halloween goofy story... Uh, I hope you see the point of it here. Mark 10.32. And they were on the road... The disciples and, and probably a few others in Jesus. Going up to Jerusalem. I want to highlight Jerusalem. This is tonight is the, the third and final allusion of Jesus to his impending death. And in each one of the previous two, and in this one, uh, they've been headed to Jerusalem, but never before have they has Jerusalem been a stated destination. At this point, the group, the traveling band of, of disciples and Jesus and, and stragglers know for a fact they're heading to Jerusalem. And the people who will eventually kill Jesus are these religious leaders, Pharisee types, and the ones that are in Jerusalem are the ones, the only ones, that have the power to really actually do something bad to Jesus. The the, the religious leaders and the Pharisees on the outlying areas don't really have much, uh, much gumption, much power to do anything to Jesus. So it's important to note that they... ...are aware... ...these disciples are aware of the fact... ...that they're walking to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking... ...ahead of them. You see that? Jesus is walking ahead of these guys. Just like me walking through... ...this this haunted house. Jesus is leading out... ...these people. And they know that Jesus talked about... These, ...his death before. And Jesus... It's, it's all kind of a, a weird situation. And they know that they're headed to Jerusalem... ...where... There's a lot of turmoil that's happening and a lot of bad possibility that can be happening. And so just like that feeling you get when you're walking through a haunted house, you've ever walked through one before, that something could happen at any moment. These guys are walking to Jerusalem scared. And the metaphor that is being shown here by Mark, that is being taught to these people, that Jesus is leading to a place of great harm or great possible harm. And Jesus is walking out in front of these people. It's a beautiful picture, an image of leadership. And remember, this this series is titled Images of Jesus. We want to look around and see what Jesus is doing and follow him and model our lives after him. Here, the, the actual thing that happens is a metaphor that Mark is using that Jesus is leading out in front of these people, heading to them to the place that they know they need to go, but there is harm that's going to happen to them where they go. So see the, the image of Jesus being... A leader here. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. Second half of verse 32. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. See the, the picture that Mark is painting here. that these Jesus is confidently resolved walking to Jerusalem. And everyone else in the party really isn't sure what's happening. Amazed and afraid at what's going on. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen. So Jesus is walking probably... 10, 20 yards ahead of these guys and he stops, senses that there's amazement and and fear that's taking over these guys and he turns and seizes this opportunity to teach them. So he brings them all together. Verse 33 is when he begins to teach them, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, they will rise. If you have your bulletin, open it up. Uh, There's a chart that's on your bulletin I want to direct your attention to. I said a minute ago that this is the third and final allusion to the death of Jesus. And each time he alludes to to his death, he teaches about discipleship. But in this one, it is the most full, the most complete allusion and prediction to his death. The first one we saw, you see in the chart there, the passion prediction. In Mark 8, 31, he says, I'm going to die. And he says, I'm going to be executed. And then he says, I'm going to be resurrected. Mark 9, 31, he talks about being delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. And then he's going to be executed and resurrected. Here, in this setting, he talks about all six of these things. He's going to be delivered to the chief priest. He's going to be sentenced to death. He's going to be delivered to... To the Gentiles, I'll get to the importance of that in a second, He's going to be mocked, spit on and scourged. And scourge is something that you've probably heard about. It's the cat of nine tails thing where they rip open the back from like just below the shoulder blades until just above the knee. And they rip that open. So ribbons of flesh are, are bleeding and muscles exposed, bone exposed. And it's just a wicked, awful thing. This is the first and only time where Jesus is talking about his death that this scourging is is talked about. And then, lastly, as as the and the two previous allusions to his death, he will be executed and resurrected. But the so this is this is a more full prediction of his death. And and I want to hit on just a second why it's important that he says he will be delivered to the Gentiles. I've I've talked about it all throughout the series and all throughout most of the the teaching that, that I do is that uh, Jesus is. Looked at, Jesus is the Messiah. And all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout, in, in the midst of the New Testament, there's a promise of a Messiah that's coming. And this Messiah that's coming, that's promised all throughout the Old Testament by the prophets and by the, the poets, is that there's going to be a Messiah coming who's going to free us from our oppression. Okay? And the people in this age, when Mark writes, the oppressors are the Gentiles. So when Jesus says to these people... I'm going to be delivered over to the Gentiles. It is a miserable thing for them to to relate to, to connect with. A Jew is saying that I am the Messiah. I am the chosen one that's coming to free you from your oppressors. And in the same breath, as he's saying that, I not only am going to free you from the oppressors, but I'm going to give my life away and die at the hands of our oppressors. It doesn't make any sense to these people. And it's it's important to understand that this is a big deal to the Jew who's looking to Jesus as the one who will bring freedom from the oppressors that he's going to give his life away to these very oppressors. And we'll get to some more of that as we get along. But understand that the, the Jews walk around with a Roman oppression chip on their shoulder. And these are our the sworn enemies of the Jews. Then they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Watch Jesus here leading and watch Jesus here teaching and laying down his life. Verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, What do you, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Jesus has just laid out this massively important thing where he's going to be tortured and he's going to die and he's going to die at the hands of our sworn enemy. And the response of James and John, and remember, there's 12 disciples and within the 12 disciples, there's three guys who's really close to Peter, James, and John. These are his boys, the ones who should be deeply Connected and committed to who He is. They say to Him, Teacher, we want You to do for us whatever we ask of You. We want You to give us a blank check. Mark 10, 36. And He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Verse 37. And they said to Him, Grant us to sit one at Your right hand and one at Your left in Your glory. Idiot! That's right, Napoleon. <laughs> Idiot. Thank you. Me and me and Napoleon worked on this sermon a little bit this week and I wanted him to come in and, and talk about how idiotic these morons are. Jesus has just said, I'm going to be handed over to our sworn enemies and they're so preoccupied with their self, so preoccupied with their own standing that all they're consumed with is themselves they ignore this brutality that their leader is going to endure and they move straight to themselves we are preoccupied with self and and so many times we connect and we chuckle at Napoleon Dynamite just said idiot and all that silliness but and we connect with how these guys are dumb but so many times we are completely preoccupied with ourselves before you laugh at these guys look at your own heart how are you preoccupied with yourself and watch Jesus here laying down his life and and gospelly connecting with these guys gospelly what does that mean he's acting in a gospel sort of way Jesus response to these guys being idiots is to present the gospel or or speak the gospel, really define the gospel by his actions. These guys have done something completely self-centered. And Jesus' response is is gentle and is the response of a sweet and 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 caring and loving shepherd. And and see that in the midst of of our lives being consumed with ourselves, even in the midst of of great difficulty for those who are leading us. What's happened here? The one who is leading James and John is in the middle of of great agony and great difficulty. And their response is the narcissistic pointing itself response. And Jesus, in the midst of that sin, is gentle with them. He is, these statements by Christ are gospel-defining. He's defining the gospel with these words. Jesus said to them, And I can just picture a soft voice of Jesus. You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? He says a different conjugation of the word baptized three times. Really quick there, and this word "baptized" means to immerse, to dunk, to fully go under. Jesus is saying, "I'm going to be tortured," and and the the language that's used here, I, the the cup that I drink, it meanings means the the agony that I'm going to have to endure. I'm going to be baptized in, fully give myself over to, dunk myself, immerse myself in brutality. You don't know what you're asking. You want to sit in my right hand, you're going to be baptized with a cup that I have to drink. It's brutal. And it's, it's a gentle, beautiful response. A gospel-defining response of Christ. Verse 39. We are able, they say to him. And Jesus said to him, the cup that I will drink, you will drink. And with the baptism, with I am baptized... You will be baptized. James is, is executed about two months after Christ is. James, he, not in the same brutal way that, that Christ is executed, but he still is baptized. He has to drink the cup. He dies for his faith. John, they, the, the people tried to kill him three or four different times, and finally, we can't kill you. We're going to put you on exile. You're going to spend the rest of your life on an island all by yourself which God used to write the book of Revelation. He connected with, with John on the island of Patmos on his exile, and Revelation is a result of that exile. So this is a Jesus telling the future about James and John. And I can imagine if we fast forward a few weeks and Christ is dead and on the cross and, and in the grave, James and John reflecting on this moment and seeing all the brutal death that Jesus had to endure. We, we've seen images and and pictures of of depicting John at the foot of the cross looking up at a suffering and dying savior i can imagine that these words ringing in john's head you will be baptized with the same baptism that i'm baptized with you're going to endure the same brutal awful oppression that i am enduring verse 40 but to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. We, we can't miss the the violent words and the imagery that's being portrayed here by Jesus and the the gentle gospel definition that he lays out. Verse 41. Before I read that, I want to set the picture up here. Jesus is, is being really really gentle in his rebuke of the James and John and the 10, the rest of the disciples are standing behind Jesus and and watching this happen and seeing it happen. And here's their response. And when the 10 heard it standing around watching this happen, they heard James and John be idiots. They began to be indignant. I want to stop at, at that indignant word They are lacking in dignity. They are angry. They are upset at James and John. They have placed themselves in the same position that James and John were in. And when they heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Idiot! Thank you, Napoleon. Right on cue again. We want to easily connect and and say idiot and, and giggle at Napoleon Dynamite at the first two, James and John, and skip right past these guys, they're doing the same thing. Wait a second. How come you guys get to be in positions of authority? Why do you get to ask these? What about me? What about me? And it's the the same philosophy, the same self-centered, look at me, I want attention, I want respect, I want authority, I want power, that that painted James and John is the same inkling or thought that paints, the ten disciples. And it's obnoxious and and it's easy for us to see it here, but so much of religion today is a power grab. So much of religion today is about pay attention to me. We want to gain standing. We want to gain authority. We want to gain respect so that people we can we can use them or we can gain power gain authority gain respect for ourselves and and i want to see i want us to see the indignity of James and John and the rest of the disciples and and see them and and maybe even see something in us one of the um there's a, a, a comedy magician team called Penn and Teller you guys heard of them um Penn is the big one that, who talks and uh, he's, they've got a they got a show that it's pretty fun. If you look on YouTube, you can find some stuff with him, but Penn does this thing where he, he puts, it's its basically self-produced. He puts his this small camera and, and he talks into this camera and he, he's talking about the, the fact that he's an atheist and how he's encountered some Christians before and then he has a response to that where he's talking about, there's a lot of Christians in the world that I, I really respect and trust and but I still don't believe you. I still believe that that in my atheism, but, and he says, I still believe that that Christianity is the reason for a lot of hate and a lot of oppression in this world today. And as I study what people outside of the church think about people inside of the church, a lot of times is we are an oppressive people. We try to 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 use our authority, we try to use our power, we try to use our money and our strength to force people to believe like we believe. And, And here, we see these guys, the 12 disciples, the guys that are intimate with Jesus. Remember, we just saw the picture of them walking to the death of Christ. They're scary, they're all afraid, they're all amazed, they're all trying to figure out what's going on. Jesus is leading them and he senses it and he turns around And he brings them to himself and he says, I'm getting ready to die. I'm getting ready to die at the hands of our sworn enemies. And their response is, wait a second, where's our power and our authority going? God, grant me that I'm going to have power and authority here on this earth. Just like our culture today grabs at, at religion to have this ability to oppress and Our non-Christian outside-of-us culture sees it and realizes it. It's the same thing that happens in 2009 and and 1985 and in this time when this is happening. Religion is a power grab used to oppress people and gain authority and power for themselves. It's what's happening with these 12 disciples. It's what happens in this culture today. And it's what serves to polarize a culture that, that is atheist. People like Penn who stand there and say that Christianity, these Christians have a little bit of an idea, but ultimately I I reject Christianity because it's too oppressive and there's too much hate and pain that it's caused the world. And it's that that the disciples are displaying here just moments after this gentle Savior turned and spoke these gentle words speaking of His death. And not just gentle words, but gentle words that really had a lot of powerful, deep Horrific language that's used in him. Verse 42. This is where, I've said a couple of times, Jesus predicts his death and then his pattern is the teach of discipleship. Jesus has predicted his death and now he's rebuked James and John and the rest of the disciples and now he begins to teach them disciples about what it means to be a disciple. And remember, our working definition of a a disciple is someone who patterns their life after the life and teaching of another. So to be a disciple of Jesus, we are patterning our lives after His life and after His teaching. So here, Jesus is teaching us how to be a disciple. Verse 42. And Jesus called them to Him. Again, He brings them all together. After this idiotic scene. And he says. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles. Lord it over them. This power grab. This ability to oppress. Even the Gentiles rulers. Oppress and grab for power. The great ones. Exercise authority over them. Watch how Jesus is diving into the face of religion and and saying, follow my lead. Follow me. Be a disciple of me. And for us, in 2009, we can connect with this in a powerful way. But it shall not be so among you. You just tried to grab at power. Stop it. Do this. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Do you see the the beauty of Christ's teaching? It's backwards to our notion. The person with the real authority, the person with the real power, is the person that's serving. And now Jesus defines it in particular with what He is about to do. In verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. When he says Son of Man, he says, I am God. Even God came to this earth to serve. The one who has all the power and all the authority, anyway, willingly gives it up. I came not to serve, to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life as a ransom for many. I looked this word ransom up. Ransom is the redemption of a prisoner, a slave, or a kidnapped person. The capture of goods, etc. for a price. Look at that definition again. Think about it. The redemption of a prisoner. Or a slave. Or a kidnapped person. Or an oppressed person person. Remember, these people are looking for freedom from oppression. They are in the midst of oppression, being ruled by governments outside of themselves. It's been that way all throughout the Old Testament. God's people are being oppressed, ruled by other people. They are slaves in need of redemption because they're being greatly oppressed. And it's the release of this prisoner, the redemption of this prisoner for a price. Read Mark 10, 45 again. For even the Son of Man came not to be served. I didn't come to power grab. I came to set you free from the oppression that you feel. Get your mind off of yourself and pay attention. Watch me serve. Watch me walk to Jerusalem, leading you guys. You're so scared. You're, you're behind me. You're so worried about yourselves. Watch me Die. Watch me serve. Application point here. Very simple. Be like Jesus. Serve and give your life away. Very, very simple. The discipleship that Jesus is teaching here is act like me. And the way to act like me is to serve and to give your life away. I ask you... Who has Jesus called you to serve? If you don't know the answer to that question, immediately, pray. Seek it out. Try to find who God is calling you to serve. What is the purpose of your life? Serve and give your life away to somebody for something. That's the mission of your life. Find it. Jesus here, is serving these people and giving His life away to their sworn enemies. And He says it because the here and now is not as important as the mission that God has for my life. So I will not be focused with my own temporary security and safety and comfort in light of what God has placed before me to do. Mission is written all over that. Application number two, be like Jesus. Don't cling to your rights and live humbly. Live humbly. Live thinking others more important than yourself. Paul writes about it in Philippians. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Don't try to flip there because it's going to be different from what's in your Bible. Philippians 2, 5 through 9. It's actually going to be on the screen. Your attitude, I want to say a bit about attitude. The word attitude means the thing that paints your response to life. Life throws you curveballs and makes you upset and makes you ticked off. The attitude that you have paints how you respond to life's circumstances. Somebody with a bad attitude, when bad stuff happens, they give bad back. Somebody with a good attitude, bad stuff happens, they give good back. The thing that paints your response to life is your attitude. The thing that paints your response to life should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. Look at that. Look at our story and how Jesus didn't cling to his rights as God. Even in the midst of these people being idiots, trying to grab at power and trying to be able to oppress people and have this this strong authority in their lives, Jesus gently rebukes them And defines the Gospel for them. He doesn't cling to his rights as God. Instead, he made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave. He came to life as a Jewish man under oppression. A slave. And appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. I want to go back to that obedience because I'm I'm talking a lot and it's very slippery. I'm talking a lot about application. Be like Jesus. Do this. Serve. Give your life away. Be on mission in your life. And it it has the, the real easy opportunity to be misunderstood and misheard that I'm saying go and I'm giving you a command to go and be religious. We're not trying to command to go to be religious to impress Christ in some way, to impress God in some way. It can't happen. We're trying to go and serve and give our life away because Jesus is our model for no other reason than what he did for us. Leading out in front of us, we are the 12 disciples in the back looking for our own power, scared of what's happening. And Jesus is the one leading us there. And now we see that image. We see that picture of Christ leading us and we must follow him, not for religion's sake, not for God to pay attention to us sake, but because that's what Jesus did. That's the, the point of all this that we can't miss. And that's the point that Paul is making here in Philippians. Follow Jesus, not for religion's sake, but because of what he did for you. That's the purpose. He set you free, follow him. He's given you life, follow him. Not follow him so that he will set you free. Not follow him so that he will give you life. See the difference. Don't slip down the slope. Verse 8, And in human form, He obediently humbled Himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. Because of this, because of this humility and servantness, God raised Him up to the heights of heaven and gave Him a name that is above every name. You want to be first serve you want to be first die to yourself god has a purpose and a mission for your life and it starts with following jesus and get that image of jesus in your mind and connect with those 12 disciples and watch him leading and watch him following and see the death that he's going to die giving his life away to sworn enemies and follow that i ask the question again Who has Jesus called you to serve and who has He called you to give your life away to? Let's pray. God, I thank You for this gorgeous image of Your Son. I thank You for this beautiful image of the Gospel. I thank You... That you have persevered your word to show us your son, to, to define discipleship for us, Father. I pray that you would give us the courage and whatever's necessary, God. I don't even know what word to use. Give us whatever we need, Father, to follow your son who is leading us into our little Jerusalem, God. Allow us to connect with a culture that sees us for who we are. People who are trying to oppress God. But instead of that, may we connect with people outside of this room, Father. People outside of those who call themselves Christians, Father. And, And serve them and lay down our lives for them as Jesus showed us, God. Give us whatever we need to to live out that mission, Father. And God, I pray for for the people in this room who, who took that question seriously, God. Lord, make it clear to us who You have called us to serve. God, for the husbands in this room, Remind each of us, Father, to choose not ourselves and choose not temporary satisfaction for our own lives, Father, but instead, serve our wives as Christ served the church and gave Himself up for her. Lord, we don't have to look too far for that mission. It's in Your Word. And it's all over Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, show us mission. Show us who to serve. Show us how to lay down our lives. And give us whatever is necessary to do that, Father. But more than all of that, God, I thank You for the beautiful Gospel that Your Son defined. That even in the midst of our sin, even in the moment when the sin comes out of us, God, You are there, accepting and loving. What a beautiful gospel. What a beautiful Savior. We worship You now. God, teach us to trust that Your Word is true. Teach us to give our lives away. Christ, Christ's beautiful name, Amen.